is up, everybody out there? This is Tyler. This is Danny. And this is the Fried Squirms, where we are here to get stoned and talk about horror movies. Today will be Eraserhead. Shit, we smoke enough of this, we might be feeling like some Eraserheads, I'll tell you what. Before we get to that point, well, I mean, we're here to get stoned, right? We can't feel like Eraserheads <laughs> unless we go through that part. So, let's start with our green hits. Danny, what is this, Jay, that you brought for me today? Nice. So I stopped by our friendly folks at Flower and picked up a joint of the apple fritter strain, which is a strain we've brought over before. But for those who are unfamiliar, it is a rare, evenly balanced hybrid strain. And it's created through crossing the classic sour apple and animal cookie strains. This made the High Times 2016's World's Strongest Strains list, being that it is a hard-hitting, high and super delicious flavor. Kind of like its namesake, you're going to get some of the apple, fruity, herbal, sweet, and vanilla flavors. And the effects on this shouldn't be a surprise. You'll feel uplifted, relaxed, all that fun stuff. This one is good for treating chronic pain, depression, insomnia, and stress. And the total cannabinoids over at Flower it comes in at 26%. Terpenes on this are 1.4% with lemonine, pinene, and caryophyllene being the more prominent terpenes in that profile heck yeah i also went over to flower surprise surprise and today i brought you some crockett's haze i know we've had it on the show before but it's been a little bit it is a sativa dominant hybrid it's a cross of old haze and the ranger and i believe we've talked about this before because we had to look it up i think the ranger is one of their house strains because it's crockett's haze because it's bred by crockett farms and Da, 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 da. I can't remember exactly. I, th- I'm, I feel like we've looked this up before, but a little bit more citrusy and tropical. And over at Flower, it is testing at 26.8% total cannabinoids and about 1.37 for the terpene total percent. The top's going to be myrcene and pinene. And honestly, we normally list the top three, but everything else is so low below those two, it's almost not worth mentioning. Understandable. (laughs) It's just a fraction, a fraction of a percent compared to those two. So this is another one where sometimes it tickles me what they write up on like the Leafly profiles for these strains, because this one, expect energizing effects that pair well with music and hikes. It's like all weed, bro. Yeah. (laughs) Once again, you described all weed, but thank you. Thank you, Leafly. Thank you. Somebody probably local who wrote that. Yeah. (laughs) Yes. We probably know the motherfucker that wrote that. It'd be like, of course. Yeah. Makes sense. And we just want to remind everybody to go check out the Patreon. Patreon.com slash fried squirms at the lowest level. You could have been listening to this last week. Highest level, you can talk to us on the Discord. And that sweet spot right in between, you start getting all the Patreon-only episodes, especially our regular lookbacks as we've been going back through our catalog, checking out some of these movies that we haven't seen in six and seven years, and seeing how uh, we view them now with a bit more experience under our belt, having seen a bit more in the realm of horror, and uh, just being older men now. (laughs) (laughs) That's true as well, yeah. But yeah, check that out, patreon.com slash fried squirms. But with that, I figure we should probably get to the guts and bolts of Eraserhead. Guts and Bolts. 
All right, guts and bolts, the who and what went into the making of this movie. Spoiler free to start. We'll get to the spoilers in a bit. Let's start off with our setup for this movie in case you don't know what an eraser head is. Mild spoiler, you still probably won't know by the end of the movie. However, it's about a man who gets stuck raising his, I guess it must be his, <laughs> <laughs> deformed baby, and it gets sick. I mean, <laughs> without spoiling anything, yeah. I mean, it's about as good as it's going to get, right? I mean, I could have left it off as just like he gets stuck. Caring for his deformed baby. But this is David Lynch, too, so keep that in mind, folks. Either way, it's spoiler-free. It doesn't tell you any more no, about it. No. I could probably go further into the movie. It's not going to tell you much about it. And that's all right. That's kind of the, the fun of it. All right, I've already mentioned some of our cast and crew already with David Lynch. So with that being said, David Lynch is our director. He's a writer. He's also... The music composer, he helped with special effects, and he helped produce this, so this is one of his babies. And with that being said, with David Lynch, it's like, wow, where do you want to start? Well, we could start here. Yeah. We could start here in this city. We really could, which is really interesting. I know we brought this up before, right? So David Lynch, born here in Missoula, and then his family moved when he was really young. Mm -hmm. So yeah, his career is really interesting. There's a lot of... A nostalgia for the Pacific Northwest and his works, along with a lot of stuff from Philadelphia as well. <laughs> so it's no surprise. But yeah, send you back to Missoula, Montana. That's so funny, man. But yeah, that's really neat. So this is actually David Lynch's first full-length feature film, and he followed that up with 1980s The Elephant Man. He was on 1984's Dune. 1986's Blue Velvet, then he went on to work on Wild at Heart, Lost Highway, Mulholland Drive, Inland Empire. He's also known for Twin Peaks, that's both the television show from 1990 through 91, and also had its reprisal back in 2017 on Showtime, and also for Twin Peaks Fire Walk With Me, so really cool guy there. All right. I've already mentioned that he's a writer. Our cinematographer in this is Herbert Cardwell and Frederick Elms. Now, Frederick, he took over after Herbert, I believe he had a massive heart attack. I'm not sure how accurate that is, if he passed or not, but I do know he was replaced. And with that being said, Frederick's got some really cool works, man. So let's go back a little bit. Right after 1977 with David Lynch, he worked on 1983's Valley Girl, oh, which wow. is really neat. Okay. Went again and worked with David Lynch on Blue Velvet. He also worked on River's Edge, same year with Tim Hunter. That's a really good film, dude. Worked on 1990s Wild at Heart with David Lynch as well. Night on Earth, which is a Jim Dermish film. Mm. Worked on The Saint of Fort Washington. The Ice Storm, which is an Ang Lee film, was really neat. He worked on Hulk, another Ang Lee film. He worked on Coffee and Cigarettes, another Jim Dermish film. Yep. Uh, Kinsey, Broken Flowers. Synecdoche, or Synecdoche, uh, yes, yeah, New Synecdoche, York. Yeah, because I know it's a yeah. weird name. But <laughs> he also worked on Alexandra Aja's Horns, which is really oh, neat. Yeah. I still have to watch Horns. I've heard a lot of people say I'd probably like it. Yeah, so some really cool stuff there. I mean, he's got all kinds of additional credits as well, short films, you name it. He's worked on them. All right, along with special effects, 
Frederick Elms also helped with the photographic effects on this film. Production companies on this were American Film Institute and Libra Films. The distributor on this was Libra Films. They helped with the 1977 United States theatrical release. Had a release date here in the States on March 19, 1977 at the Filmex Festival. And the tagline is a dream of dark and troubling things. Okay. All right, so moving to our cast. Not a very deep cast, but a really good one. So I'm going to lead off with Jack Nance, plays the role of Henry Spencer. And speaking of Jack Nance, talk about a really cool guy. Just a few films of note, because he's been in uh, quite a few of them. He's been mostly in David Lynch's works. That includes Dune, Blue Velvet, Wild at Heart. He was in Twin Peaks as Pete Martell. Also reprises his role in Fire Walk With Me and The Missing Pieces, which was like deleted scenes from Fire Walk With Me. And some of the footage featuring Nance, it was from the pilot episode when 2017's mm. reprisal took place. And he also worked on The Cowboy and the Frenchman, which is some really cool stuff. Now, his wife was also an actress, and she helped with like production design on this. Her name is Catherine Coulson. So there's a lot of people who worked on this. It's, it's going to be really neat when you start seeing these connections. She was a log lady on Twin Peaks, for those who are okay. familiar. But she was also married, like I said, to Jack Nance, which is really neat. All right. Moving forward, we've got Charlotte Stewart. She plays the role of Mary X, a lady we've actually talked about before, Tyler. Way back on episode 70. Yeah, Tremors. <laughs> so wild. She was also in Little House on the Prairie back in 1974 through 1978. She was in Twin Peaks. She both was in the television show and the movie. She was also in Slums of Beverly Hills, and she came back for Tremors Part 3, Back to Perfection. All right, we've got Alan Joseph plays a role of Mr. X. A few things of note from him. He was in The Return of Count Yorga. He was in the film Marathon Man, Raging Bull, and Saturday the 14th. We have Gene Bates plays a role of Mrs. X. She was in Die Hard Part 2. She was in Silent Night, Deadly Night 4, which was the initiation. Wow. She, she was in Wild Orchid Part 2, Two Shades of Blue, and she was also in Mulholland Drive. All right, we've got Judith Ann Roberts. She plays the beautiful girl across the hall. A few things of note from her. She was in Dead Silence. She was in the film Death Sentence. She was also in the television show The Heart, She Holler. From 2011 through 2014, which I read that that was an Adult Swim show. Wow. I was okay. like, okay. And she was also in Orange is the New Black back in 2014. Uh, she did two episodes of NOS 4A2. Yeah, I saw that as well, mm -hmm. NOS 4 a too. All right, we have Laurel Near. She plays the lady in the radiator, but this is really her only role of note. And last but not least, we have Jack Fisk, who is the man in the planet. Really, only note of, uh, you know, as far as acting, he's a production designer mostly, and the husband of, I think you just saw it. Oh, the husband of a Sissy Spacek, but... You see all uh, the films he's worked on? I was about to say, production designer on Phantom of the Paradise. Yes, I saw that. I was like, wow. Also, art director of The Messiah of Evil. I will say this... I have been told to watch that film several times and review it, so we'll eventually have to get that. And if we do, we're going to have to bring somebody back on, perhaps, for that, who keeps recommending that. Jeez, I'm looking at some of Our these. Our director for Carrie. Production designer on Killers of the Flower Moon, Causeway, The Revenant, 
in the master tree of life water for elements yep. or for elephants there will be blood dude yeah some big ones killers of the flower moon which is coming up the scorsese film now which is really neat you start seeing like he's worked with terrence malick a lot mm -hmm. right and the reason being is because terrence malick and david lynch and all these guys became friends while at afi and not only that so but they're they all, all kind homies of, yeah. exactly they all kind of pitched in together to make this project work and all that other stuff so call them the Wayback boys <laughs> i mean really it's really neat like i had no idea that sissy spacek let alone jack fisk you know her husband mm -hmm. had all these interesting connections and so there you go so yeah making a long story short that's our cast and crew she gave us a brief setup should give our listeners some warnings warning there's a little bit of i mean you could say gore i guess blood and gore more blood than gore yeah the gore is hard to define but it's definitely there and violence towards it look yes. so this is arguably a body horror i would agree i was trying to think of how to define this because i feel like it's something that should be warned <laughs> if you're not good with like cringe comedy you probably also won't be good with this movie. I agree with that, too. There's dark it, humor, for sure. There's dark humor in this, but I think it's a lot of the timings really on stuff in this movie are things that you only see in things like cringe humor. I agree with that, too. Yeah, it's going to be It's going to be the next closest thing. Kind of disturbing. In a, in a very weird way, like, the two closest movies... I, don't, I guess I don't want to get into that yet. Yeah. I want to hold off. We can wait. We can wait. I want to hold off. Whatever. You've been fucking warned. <laughs> I'm exactly. Like, I think the name itself not only doesn't imply things, but it, this film has a reputation. Not a bad one or anything, but it has a reputation. It's also art. Like, it, are there any cuss words? Like, I can't remember for sure because Man, there's so there little are, dialogue. Not much, if at all. I don't think so. Not that I recall. Maybe bastard? Yeah. <laughs> like, that, that might be ba the worst it gets. Yeah, so l if language is the thing that puts you off on this film... You're good. Yeah. <laughs> like, I, I want to find some way to let the people know what they're getting into, but I think that's the best we can do. It's arty, it's black and white, it's Lynchian, but if you don't know David Lynch, you don't know what that means. And we'll explain all that stuff coming up. Let's get into it. Find out how Eraserhead made us squeal. How does that make you squeal? All right, man, here we are, Eraserhead. We get to start off a thinky block, Danny. I know, with David Lynch on top of it. Yeah, my first time seeing a full David Lynch movie outside of Dune. Wow, that's interesting within itself, really. I still haven't went through all of Twin Peaks. I've seen some of Twin Peaks. Okay. It's one of those shows where every time I start it, something fucking comes up and interrupts me. And so I've started that show like four different times now. <laughs> Hopefully this next time I try, I'll actually get through it. What's what's interesting too is thinking like, man, that show is, it's now literally over 30 years old. Because it came out in mm -hmm. 1990, 91. So that's like, wow, it's kind of hard to believe. And I don't know, leading up to this episode, I mentioned a couple times that I thought I'd seen some scenes from this movie while in college but that it wouldn't have mattered too much because I probably would have been drunk at the time at like a party or something. I don't think I have actually now after having seen this movie. I don't know what I was remembering because now that I've seen this movie, I'm having a hard time putting together what it was I thought I was remembering, but probably not. Huh. No, it's not like I've seen this film 
several times. I might have seen it in totality. I want to say like maybe four or five times now in totality. Mm-hmm. You know, that's over the course of like 20 plus years. So it's still nice like knowing what this film is without being like super geek or geeked out over it too, you know. Yeah. Is yeah, this it's going to make this one fun. All right. So this is what I was wanting to say before and I want to get it out while it's still in my brain before my weed head forgets it. <laughs> the two closest movies to this one that I think we've covered are Creep and Tetsuo. No, Tetsuo is not a stretch. And I'll I'll explain why I say that later, but Creep is a unique one too. I don't see too far of a detachment from that in a sense. But I'm kind of curious as to your reasoning too. I think it's just the same the same sense of uncomfortableness okay. that it oh, okay. gives you with just like its use of awkward social situations and sort of that weird, as I was bringing up before, no, that a, weird cringe vibe. That's a good point. Yeah, because it is dark. It creeps humor. a lot more straightforward with it. Right. It's more, I think it's more deliberate in that sense. But mm-hmm. no, I, I see what you're saying with the draw and the distinction. It's a parallel, that's for sure. Yeah. Man, this movie's a trip. I like this one. That's my, my too long, you know, not going to listen to the rest of this episode, I guess, assholes. Uh, <laughs> I really enjoyed this. This is a weird thing to say. I mean, especially... Oh, okay. We'll get into the details of the movie, I'm sure, over the course of the rest of this episode. But of all of the fucking arty-farty horror movies we've watched, this one feels the most relatable. Honestly, it is, because it deals with subject matter... That is relatable. I mean, you you don't necessarily have to be a parent, per se, to relate, but it's the feelings and, and the dreamlike state that you're, you know, thrust into that can be relatable. Maybe not to everybody, but on a certain level. So that my first time watching through this this weekend, it kind of just all slapped me in the face, and I don't know if I could have said two fucking words about it right after, you know what I mean? The second time watching through, having seen it once and being able to, like, order my thoughts on it a little bit more. This is the most relatable. I would have been able to say a little bit on that. The movie itself, I wouldn't have been... And, like, some of the structure and some of the things that I think are being done with how Lynch presents things, I'm not sure I would have been able to speak on. But it ends up becoming my very first note of this movie. And it's probably one of the more popular interpretations of this movie and i think for good reason i it's an arty enough film that you can't say any one interpretation is correct but i think some are definitely more correct yeah i know you're saying more i think decipherable if you will Mm -hmm. like if you want to put it in those terms easier to understand where those things are being pulled from within the text of the movie it's a nightmare right yeah i think it's I think you could read it into it as, yes, it's a nightmare, and also you could look at it as, like, the mind at work, and like, navigating through this guy's subconscious. Here's where I get, like, it's a nightmare. Well, okay. There's a lot of things in the beginning to indicate that it might be a nightmare. Just, like, his floating oh, in the that, void yeah. and the, the, the superimposing of the image and how it starts in his brain and gets mm. pulled out and pulled into the real world, but... Everything sort of comes back around at the end, and we'll get to that. But, <laughs> like, the relatable part of this movie to me, like, I, I don't have kids. That's, I understand where those themes are coming from, and, like, the 
the worry about the worst what ifs about having a kid in a lot of ways. Those are relatable because like some of those what ifs add on to the reasons I don't want to have kids. You know what I mean? It's stuff that I've thought about before. Yeah. And that's a solid point. Cause I mean, that's one of those things. I think it's an easier thing to draw out of when you think about who he is, what was going on during his life at that time too. Mm -hmm. It's like, Oh yeah, that's more of an easy draw to take away from this film. But the thing that stood out most to me in this movie and what made it feel relatable is that this movie feels like it's like somebody took and was like, let's make a horror movie and let's base it off of you take a person with social anxiety and you make it, oh no, the world really is the way that you perceive it. It's not just being blown up in your head. This is the way that all of these things are coming across all the time. All those intrusive thoughts you're having, those are just going to come real. Yeah, it's, it's now reality. Your your worst worry about how this situation is going to unfold? Oh, absolutely. Here it comes. Here it comes. <laughs> yeah. And I don't mean worst as in, no, like, the like purge absolute. is going to happen. No. It's, no, you're going to go to your quote-unquote girlfriend's house? The movie doesn't give enough context to the actual nature of their relationship or how close they actually were. Yeah, just it, it seemed to me like probably just like a one-night fling. Yeah. And for whatever reason, he's just like, let me see, I've got her. Because, you know, she wants, he's like, all right, well, let me, oh, yeah, this is Mary, okay. And then having to have an awkward dinner with the parents... Only to get, once again, awkwardly confronted by the mom. And as I was watching the, how everything in this everything in this movie plays out, I'm just like, oh, yeah, I deal with social anxiety. I understand exactly how this fucking feels like. Because this is just how the day feels sometimes. Just writ large. Yeah. Brought to absolutely. life. What I find interesting about all those things, too, like you were saying, the social constructs, the hooking up, meeting the parents, having these awkward social, you know, situations because of, and then in his case, he finds out, well, now you're also the dad, perhaps with this child. Mm -hmm. <laughs> it's like, now it's like, oh, now, now all those things that you really did fear about, you know, the hookup culture, not maybe in those terms, but, you know, the one night stands, things like that. It's like, oh, okay, now it's a reality. And then it's really going to become something else. <laughs> Fuck, this is wild. I'm trying to think of where to even begin. Because no, you have the I, shit with, like... Because you, on, because you have the shit with, like, the, the man with the planet in the beginning, too, who, I don't know, is he a little sprinkle of cosmic horror, maybe, in a way? And that that's a interpretation of a way to... God? Perhaps. I, I read it a little differently. I read it in the context of like, all right, if we're in this this guy's dream world, or maybe, like I said, his, his subconscious, we're navigating through his fears and whatnot. I looked at that character more so of like the machinations at work. Like, it's the guiding force, you know, and maybe it in, in the male terms, you know. For him, it was a driving force, and he was just kind of going through the motions. He didn't know exactly why, 
he was just doing them. <laughs> you right. Know? So I felt like that whenever he was almost in that lust state and was wanting to act out, then those gears started moving for him in the the man on the planet. Like the planet was his mindscape, that fear, everything that encompasses whatever we're witnessing in the moment. And that's what the thing that was driving it. That's the way I, I viewed mm -hmm. it. I mean, but like you said, it's so subjective. It's going to take on a all kinds of different meanings. Well, I mean, and here's the weird thing, because I think that that could all be true, and it could still be a version of God. Right. Because if like, this is... a driving force. If this is his nightmare force. and his dreamscape, as he sets it into motion through his thoughts, mm -hmm. it's creating this world that he's living in for the night. You know, his, his yeah, nightmare yeah, dreamscape. Yeah. And it's that portion of his brain that's acting as a creator I see what you're saying with the, to yeah. pluck things and make them right. real it's like pulling from him yeah that's I, it's I, a I, god it's saying. god is in a, a creator figure rather than more so than the literal sense of a of god so to speak it's but it's a, a god, god that's that, a part of his brain that's already absolutely. within himself it's it's the one that's creating this state yeah, it's in, it's in kind of his anxiety, state. right? It's just yeah, it's it's manifested or it's taken on in this form. Yes, right. It's not always going, but an embodiment it, of. But something happens in his brain where he gets this fear for a second, and it has that moment to latch that, on. That's a solid point. I think that's a better way of interpreting those. Is that these are not necessarily literal <laughs> characters; they're more like embodiments of whatever he's going through at this current time in life like so whether it's fear desire lust whatever else he's going through so the overall vibe i got was that yeah it's very unclear how close him and mary x actually are i'd say i get the barely. feeling that i yeah i get the feeling that it was maybe a couple time hookup and she is way more in it than he is like you already had the picture ripped up and he's just like oh yeah that's Mary. That, that's a way and, and she's Mary X for a reason. Right. They're an X. Mm -hmm. And I also get the feeling, not even from later on, but just from their very first interaction, that the time that we see it in the movie isn't the first time him and the beautiful lady across the hall have hooked up. Yeah, I agree with you there. It almost and I think he's more into that, and she's not. It's kind of a right. It is. It's that that love triangle tryst mm -hmm. thing. Yeah, I know what you're saying. It in a sense, it reminded me a little bit of was it Shram with with the call girl? Like mm. he knows his neighbor what she does, and then they yeah. they kind of hook up. He gets a little bit more into it than he should be, and she's like, "That's and not what it is." And here's the thing: I feel like. I don't know why I get this feeling because the movie does not give us no, much context just... at all. But I get the feeling that even when we see her with the guy later in the film, she's presented in a way that very much reads, at least in movies, as like actual prostitute. Mm. Not just calling her a whore, but no. like the, her interaction with that guy reads much more right, as... It's more business transaction. But I don't think she is no, I, think I think that's how me. he's seeing her in that moment i agree with that too i agree with that too she's more or less 
who it, it doesn't necessarily have to be like that's literally her. It could just be whoever that woman embodied. Yes. They're like that's that's the that lust part of his brain <laughs> taking over is like that's yeah. And yeah, he feels betrayed when she when he sees that. So now, yeah, he sees her as now the whore, if you will. And which which brings up interesting points with like the lady in the radiator. Because I've seen where you could say that she's more like the girl next door, the Betty Boop kind of character. Over the course of the film, I feel like, I don't know if she's supposed to fill only one role, and I'm missing how she is, or if she does in fact fill two roles. Because I feel like it's easy to read her as his fantasy of like a more ideal woman. Maybe not the ideal, right. but at least more ideal than what he's currently dealing with in his life. She's willing to dodge the falling fetuses, and when she can't dodge them anymore, she's willing to abort them, metaphorically. Yeah, what what I found interesting, yeah, what I found interesting too about the two different watches. The first time I watched it, and where he's kind of like imagining her, and you're right, she's dodging, and then he's like kind of like slinging. I'm like, I, I wonder how much of that's a metaphor for him, like, and if I'm not mistaken, too, like, there's two different times. The one time I'm thinking of is when he's by himself with the, the child, and he goes in that dream state, and he envisions her and all that stuff. But I'm like, I wonder if he just, like, woke up and just cranked one out, and he was just kind of like, mm -hmm. you know, that's, like, she's the... <laughs> well, and here's the thing. So, I think the other read on her can be is that she's death and death ideations. Yeah, absolutely, that too. But because of what she says, what she sings more specifically. Because of what she says, what she sings, the different times that she shows up, as he's... <laughs> like you said, she's stomping him out. And... Mm -hmm. Like, the first time she shows up, it's more like his first ideas, like, almost like having these intrusive thoughts because he's in this experience. Mm-hmm. You know, he's able to set them aside, but he he starts thinking to himself, yeah, but how easy could that be? And then at the end, obviously, after he's done what he does, he then embraces her fully to get out of the situation he just put himself into. Yeah. Or he embraces her fully as a metaphor alluding to the situation of what he just did. I think yeah. either way, she represents an escape from his situation. Right. Regardless of how you interpret... That particular embodiment, like you were saying, whether it's the death ideation, whether you see her as maybe the ideal, quote-unquote ideal woman for him in this current situation, like you said, he's involved in, or, which I found another interesting take on it, and this is not my, my take, I just found it interesting, was that when Henry, you know, he, he stabs the baby and all that stuff, it's like oozing the white... <laughs> Mm -hmm. stuff out and her cheeks kind of do the same thing with and it was said by this particular person interpreted i thought this is interesting is that she represents like bliss mm -hmm. and like when they embrace he's essentially killing his fear whatever current state of mind he's in whatever is giving him anxiety which it seems like a child a newborn this relationship all the stuff that comes with it the loss of identity maybe that's part of the whole eraser thing not just he's trying to erase perhaps the deed that he did with this particular person and the child that comes out of it but you know you're also becoming a parent and with a child it becomes something different you know yeah. 
you're such and such as dad. You're not, hey, I'm this person. You know what I mean? So it takes on multiple meanings in that current, I won't say predicament, but, you know, the current state of affairs Mm -hmm. that he's in. So with the embrace, it can be interpreted like now he's got over that hurdle of, like, all these things that have been giving him anxiety. Like he's killed his anxiety because maybe he's, like you were saying, he's going to those worst case scenario situations in his mind. So this is what the manifestation of it is in his dream state. Right. You know, so yeah, maybe you can read it as a, a positive thing, or you could also say like, well, maybe killed baby did a murder suicide. <laughs> I, which she, I think is just as valid. Just of as her valid because maybe my first time through, I was reading a little bit more into that side of it more so than like, maybe he's, but I can see how you could interpret it either way. And I think, once again, I think what a lot of this goes down to is that it's some sort of escape. escape for right. Him. I think that's the oh. more important aspect of it, is, is the form of escapism of this current state that he's in. Right, because I was going to say, it, with your third example, it would be more of a transformative escape. Which is interesting, because David Lynch was doing like the whole was it, um, transcendental yoga and meditation and stuff like that, so it, it's not too far-fetched. That's no. like a form of, yeah, like transforming yourself or manifesting more positive, you know, thoughts more so than leaning towards the negative aspects. And here's something, too, I thought that was interesting. You can read into this is the wall or the use of like, the, you know, the wall or the, or the window more specifically. And it's walled up. And it says towards the end, he finally does get to peer out and it, some kind of violent act has happening down below. And it's like, well... That's interesting because he said while he was living in Philadelphia, like he felt like that was the embodiment of like what just pure terror felt like or anxiety felt like living in that constant state of fear in Philadelphia. So I was like, well, that's interesting, man, because not knowing that. I've heard that in Philadelphia, there's a couple of guys that are out to no good. (laughs) (laughs) Sorry, I'm making trouble in my neighborhood. (laughs) Uh, One little Scott fight, uh, and David Lynch got scared. (laughs) I was going to say, man, that is oddly, oddly coincidental (laughs) that uh, Will Smith and David Lynch had very similar (laughs) routes to Hollywood. (laughs) I don't know if it was West Philadelphia, per se, but that's funny. But what I was getting at with that is, like, maybe that's a little bit of more of a metaphorical thing. You know, like, he's walling up whatever... He saw, you know, maybe that mud puddle too, without it having sound, it's kind of indicating something that happened. Mm. Maybe he saw something and he's like, oh, should have seen that. You know, because we're in this dreamscape, where the, whether it's a nightmare, like I said, whether it's subconscious thoughts he's pulling from, whatever, whatever. I still find it's really interesting that you can interpret from so many different things in this film. And, and he's like, yeah, I, you know, it's not a right or wrong answer, but it has been said that no one's really like nailed what his interpretation of it is. Right. Which, I mean, that's kind of like holding the ace or whatever. It's like, man, you can make up whatever the hell you want at this current <laughs> yeah. moment and you could change it depending on how this per, per- he's like, no, that's not, yeah, not I- quite that. <laughs> you know, it's like, nah, well, no, you're close. No, no. And then that's like now kind of this. like, mm, that's fool's gold, you know, and that's okay. <laughs> that's okay. That's what I like about art in particular. In this case, film, it's 
yeah, I mean, there's, I think there are certain things you can just, you know, okay, this is on the head, or, you know, this is hitting the nail on the head. Yeah, and, look, there's, there's things in this movie where even if this wasn't his full intent, fuck off, you put this in here. Right. I mean, even his daughter, which is really cool because she's a director now. Yeah. And... She's even said, yeah, she was born with a club foot and she had to have a lot of corrective surgeries as a child. And I'm sure, you know, as a parent, that was something. I think most people, one of their fears is like, I don't want to have a child who's going to have some kind of deformity. I'm not saying that, you know, if it happens, it's like it's the worst case. It's just you don't wish those things on people and all this other stuff. No. You know, it's, it's a you don't want I, them to have to live with. That. It's a rational fear, you know. So when shit does happen, you know, you have to deal with the situation at hand, you know, whatever. But in, in this heightened state of anxiety and stuff, it's going to manifest into something far worse because that's where the mind goes typically. It's going to manifest something far worse than what typically reality is. And then, well, and that's the thing. you It's manifesting this worst case scenario, but in the course of this dream, he gets to go even further into it. Yeah. And so it's not just worst case scenario. It's like, what's then the worst case scenario of that worst case scenario? Yes. And so well, then like I'm going to start still... to grow to resent the kid. Or at first, I'm going to screw something up. Absolutely. Like, I'm the it, kid's going to get sick and I'm not going to be able to do anything about it. Everything I try is going to be the wrong thing. Right. I'm going to lose my relationship with the, the mother of the child and then I'm going to have a one night stand with a lady and then that's not going to work that's not going to work because i have the kid so i'm going to grow to resent the kid right and it, it just it keeps manifesting and manifesting and it's just like this snowball just keeps piling like you said in just these until constant. murder suicide and then that's kind of that's one of my notes it's like yeah you could read it a couple of different ways like, it's super easy to read that ending as murder suicide right super easy to read that ending as murder suicide <laughs> and that's a that's a part of the horror of it too it's when you said Tetsuo, I was like, good, because I'm glad you said that, because it felt like this is, in an interesting way, a precursor, because there's so much industrial sounds and textures and body horror aspect of it without being cyberpunk about it. Guess what the other thing that this is a precursor to? Babadook. Yeah, that, oh man, without a doubt. I think that's a good point, too. Like... This does family horror in spades. That dinner we mentioned earlier, Man. that entire thing is... Okay, you remember how, like, in Get Out, the entire garden party was actually just, this is racism? Mm -hmm. This was like, this entire dinner is, this is the horror of having a family in all sorts of ways. Man. Beforehand, when they're sitting there making small talk, you have... First off, it's awkward anyway, and you have the weird family dynamics that you have no control over because yeah. you're just sit. You're in their place, right? Like <laughs> exactly. It starts off with him just being. You're out of your element, Donnie. Yeah. <laughs> no, you're right. Right. And that's like this was like I said. This was the scene where I was like, "Ooh, this is social anxiety all over." Because like, even if you don't deal with it to a large extent, everybody deals with anxiety to some extent. Without a doubt, yeah. And so I'm sure everybody's had at least a conversation or a situation where did it play out like that? No. Did it right. feel like it played out like right. that? Right. Yes. Yeah. <laughs> Gosh. That that really gives rise to this is what I feel about it or how I interpret things is whenever we're dealing with that, right? Like in our mind, we're like, oh, yeah, like you said, 
is it what happened? No, but is it how you felt like? Well, yeah, right? But whatever is going on in your mind is not going to be the same as somebody else is reading that situation. Mm -hmm. However they feel is the worst case scenario. And I think that's even more amusing in a sense because we're all interpreting whatever our sense of reality is so different. Mm -hmm. And that alone should tell you how subjective all this stuff is. Yeah. And then it really starts ratcheting up the the thing <laughs> so that wild. the thing that i felt was genius in the scene was also the inclusion of the mama dog and her puppies mm -hmm. loudly and suckling. greedily suckling well that's just it and that's just plays even more into the bot into the family horror where you're like now you're just a resource for this kid you're a sucking pet. You dry, bro. You're a pet. You're in the corner. They're sucking you dry. What I also read into that was not just the social anxiety of having to meet all these people and just the constant, which I love the sound design in this. I mean, you can't stress. I mean, it's it's been noted too, so it's not like something. It's a revelation. It's just it makes me think of how effective that is in movies. Like it gives a a whole nother character. It's kind of narrating this guy's current state of mind or a certain you know state of being in that scene as well because it, that music if you will or just the sound accompanies that ratcheted mm -hmm. sense just that constant droning just like dread and like what the fuck but it also made me think of like maybe he's envisioning himself if i'm with this girl she's gonna become her mom i'm gonna become her dad this is gonna be my life her mom's become her grandma. Mm -hmm. It's like, do I want to be doing this shit? Well, and so the grandma thing, which, and I think is highlighted by what he does later, I think hits on two aspects of horror, both body horror and family horror. Mm. And it's both the idea that the body horror idea of just getting old. Yeah, absolutely. You st and That's a good he's point. already thinking about a baby. Baby's brought into this world fucking wow. helpless. And we have to fucking help them and wait on them hand and foot. And otherwise they're going to just fucking die. <laughs> yeah. I mean, maybe he ain't going to just take care of himself. And at a certain point, if you keep getting old, you're going to get to the point where you can't do all that shit again. Right. Once again, now somebody's going to be taking care, care of you. Jesus. So and he, in both, and in both instances, you are at the whims of the person taking care of you. Your parents fuck you up. It's wild. You, they don't mean to, but your parents fuck you up. I, and oh. at a certain point, you're once again back at the whims of your caretaker when you you're really old. Are. We don't know if grandma was a smoker. No, exactly. We don't know that. But now that she's being taken care of mom, I mean, she now is. Now she is. <laughs> <laughs> well, I, also, I was thinking, when Mary has like her little fit, if you will, mm -hmm. in the living room, I said another thing, too. I don't know if, if, if I'm reading too much into it, but that's okay. That's just what it is. In that situation, if, I, if I'm courting somebody, I'm not saying this is what I do, but in this particular scenario, given the circumstances, I would imagine as that character, I'm reading into it like, ooh, shit, she's got some weird epileptic shit going on. She's going to pass it on genetically to our child. Right. So that's another thing what I'm getting at with like those anxieties that people carry with them. Even on that kind of note, it's like, well, I don't know this person. What kind of shit do they have going on genetically? And I know it's a fucked up thing to say, but I mean, that's the reality of it, though. Well, and here's the thing. So 
and this is where I kind of like your third interpretation of the ending, where it's more of a transformative release and escape, because you can sort of see it as him looking at different aspects of coming to terms with what happened and this family dinner and her leaving and the way that that all plays out and how awkward that is and everything um, can all be sort of him like pushing this off onto her. Okay. The problem is with her. Like she's got weird things going on. Her family dynamics weird. Mom tried to come on to me. <laughs> <laughs> Mom was in there like speaking in tongues over the dinner mm-hmm. and shit. That was they weird. eat weird fucking chicken. <laughs> no, what is wrong with you guys? This is on her. At a certain point, he starts having the visions, and when his head pops off, yep. it's replaced by the baby. You're like, oh shit. And so maybe, and especially when you couple it with. The fact that the baby was both born of him not being able to keep it in his pants and then his later resentment and everything else comes from like him trying to get it on with somebody else again. So is the baby coming up out of his neck a transition to a portion where he's wondering maybe the problems within me? Absolutely. I think so. I think that's more of uh, like the problem is manifest inside of me more so than at the external factors mm-hmm. yeah and then like i said i think that's more of an interesting take if you read it in the transformative aspect of it mm-hmm. it's like yeah this guy is realizing through the stream state the issue probably lies more so with him than these these outside factors it's just sometimes it's not an easy take <laughs> you know sometimes like so with with the mind it can play those those, those kind of tricks on you if you let it mm-hmm Fuck, what else is there to comment? There's so much to this. I'm trying to think what I've already... I haven't even looked If there's anything else I have to say. (laughs) Let's see here. I don't have a read on his head being turned into erasers and them being deemed acceptable. No, like, the only thing that I read, and it was mostly just by, by other people's interpretation, I was like, okay, this is interesting because I can see it in that regard. It's kind of... Unless it's like an ego death thing. I think so in a sense. Like, it's so weird because it is in that dream state. So it's like, how much can you interpret this, you know, literally well, I, and, and figuratively, metaphorically, et cetera, et cetera? Okay, I guess. So this is weird because then I don't understand how it leads into the last sequence. Because, like, his head being taken to be t- turned into erasers happens after he realizes that the child is coming up out of his neck hole. Yeah. So, you know, maybe the problems within me, great place for ego death. That makes sense. Right. But then how, Yeah. after that experience, how does that then still lead into the killing of the child? Well, exactly. Mm-hmm. Well, and like I said, I think... Unless that's, <laughs> once again, simply the acceptance change part. Right. It's like, I don't want to say like, oh, this is this, this is that, because I, I, I don't know. The way I, I like to think of it, <clears throat> without looking at it like linearly as we're trying to, you know, perhaps it's just like we're seeing that part of him, like why he's having the big issue. Maybe he feels like that cog piece in a machine once he becomes this, this is, you know, like, like I said, in, in a sense, getting back to earlier, the part of lo- not necessarily losing identity per se, but now you're a parent. So you're not an individual, your dad. Now you're in this other aspect 
where some of it's erasing you, some of it you wanted to erase, like I said, which draws that resentment, which maybe leads to it because what looks like perhaps that ego death is still a part of him that's like, nah, fuck that. <laughs> you know what I mean? It's like, yeah, no. A real, it's like, even though you might be able to realize like this is for the betterment of you, you know, probably uh, there's still a part of that ego that wants to fight it. Mm -hmm. But I, I don't know necessarily if that's what it is either. Maybe we're just witnessing like a jumbled another like little curveball thrown <laughs> in there. Like, hold up. We're trying to halt the right. brakes. Like he's, he's transforming too fast. Let's throw this in here. I don't, I don't know. Really? I really don't know. But, it is an interesting thing just to kind of cut into, like like you said, his head popped off. This kid picks it up, and now he's in this cog. Well, he does seem to have resentment for the child. And well, that, that seems to help fuel him eventually stabbing it. But I, the transition might make more sense if I could parse and figure out what the kid not having a body is supposed to mean, I guess. Because when he cuts open the bandages, there's no skin. No, that, I mean it's just organs. It, it appears like the bandages was keeping everything intact. Like so maybe it is a part of that. Like, so maybe that's the thing. Maybe he realizes that all these fears are being held together by just, just his imagination. Right, just there's like, nothing actually there going on yet. Which is why he kills it to get rid of it. I, I think that's a good point, man. I was going to say that it's maybe it's another metaphor of like, you know, you can only pass things up so long before you finally have to cut through and like, oh, just let all that shit spill out because it's, this is all it is. Like, yeah, exactly. Well, then it's just that. It's like you're just letting all that stuff rot, manifest, and it, it's not making that situation like so that whole fear. Maybe you can use that baby as a as a a manifestation for like his anxiety, his fears, his dreads, his resentments, all of that shit, all that negative stuff, right? And so, yeah, it's being held in this bundle and it's getting sick and you can't take care of that shit. Mm -hmm. <laughs> no matter how much you want to nurture it, you got to let it go. And so what's the best way? You got to cut it open, see it for what it's worth, let it die so that way you can get past, maybe like I said, embrace that blissful part of, acceptance and, and transformation like getting over that hurdle as a person and that could be for anything really it doesn't necessarily have to be just for fatherhood or whatever right else. it can be for literally anything yeah and i think that's that's part of the beauty of this is like it can be very specifically about the fears of becoming a parent absolutely because that's super all over this but you can simply become a parent to things to mm -hmm. ideas you birthed this idea you birthed this fear and i think that's something that makes it even more relatable not just for mm. you know for guys for women for whomever like just a, the general population i think most people who live a life you know a functional life in a sense is you're going to deal with these kind of things you know it's some things like you said you can let them manifest into something really father something or mother something really you know bad if you let it if you feed into it or you know all that other stuff like this is a really good example of that and a nightmare kind of escape 
doesn't have to be a literal. Mm, trying to think if there's anything else that jumped out at me, but I think we've covered. Oh, I wanted to ask you because this is, I know this is your first time through. All right, so the song, which, <laughs> I mean, oh, once you see it, yeah, you know, and, every, and having everything is fine. I wanted to know kind of like what was your first take on that the first time you saw it? <laughs> well, my first take was, well, this now makes a lot more sense that I haven't watched any other David Lynch movie beside Dune. I've listened to his album. Mm. I guess I should have listed that out. Like That's pretty cool. Just the, like, the fact that something that sounded like that was in there just made total sense because I've heard the music that he makes. So yeah. I don't think, I don't know if he made that song or not. I don't care. The fact that he included something that sounded like that in this just made total sense. So that's awesome. All right. So that was, that was the first thing. And the second thing is typically with the poster of this film, you'll see Jack Nance and like that mist that comes right. up behind him. That was another thing. I was like, I didn't know if, if, if that, kind of dawned on you or per, perhaps no or like, i realized that yeah okay well i was gonna say like even though i hadn't seen this movie like the image of jack nance in this movie is iconic oh without a doubt i can't help but think every time i see the image of jack nance as you know henry spencer i can't help but think of our friend marcus at oh. the store like if i was gonna <laughs> recast <laughs> marcus would be a dead ringer for it I don't know, perhaps for the character, but for at least the, the aesthetic. Mm -hmm. Yeah, we could do that. <laughs> so I think of that. But you know, what I find interesting, once again, is having a little better background with his works and knowing, because <laughs> another weird little side draw here, it's because we did Singapore Sling couple mm. of years ago right and knowing that they drew from the same material from the 1940s film laura and i started thinking more about david lynch's work right now you see this more as kind of like a 1940s 1950s when you see her sing it's more of kind of like that stage yeah with you know with like lounge singers what i'm guessing i'm mm -hmm. trying to say and he does that a lot in his films man he does that in twin peaks does that in a lot of his bodies of work Mulholland Drive Blue okay. Velvet a lot of his shit right and I'm like wow he really does if you really pay attention to him he wears his childhood his, his upbringing the things that he experienced I guess going into filmmaking on his sleeve but he does it in a way which is it's really clever but it's also a unique look because I, what I think it's really doing or what he's doing is he's taking a look of like the nuclear family, the stuff from the forties and fifties, the Americana, you know, this turn of um, post-World War II, this suburban, mm -hmm. clean, you know, that kind of shit. But what he's really doing is he's like, he's he's pulling back and the, the Wizard of Oz sense and letting you see what is really, what really is going on behind closed doors and in people's lives. It's like, wow, it's taboo and kind of dark and mysterious and grimy and mm -hmm. it, it's not as cookie cutter and clean and all this other stuff that you think it is. And that's what I like about it. It's, he's pulling back the veneer and he's letting you see it in this weird, not weird, it, in like this dreamscape, this unique way of interpreting all this shit. Some of it's on purpose. I think some of it he does to mix both reality and, and the dream. And it's hard to, to know which one you're in sometimes. 
I think he does a good job of blending it. I agree. Uh, this movie's dope. No, I'm, I'm glad we started this block with this one. I don't necessarily think this will be the heaviest one in the block. I, I'm going to reserve. <laughs> I'm going to reserve that for another one. I feel like it's a stronger contender, but we won't know until we actually get to the finality of this little block. I'm not going to lie. I'm, I'm kind of weirdly blown away by how straightforward this movie feels for how fucking arty it is. Yeah, it really is. But it, it also makes me appreciate... It, it, it still doesn't give you answers. It really doesn't. It's like it makes me appreciate a couple of different things about art house in general, just film in general for that matters. Once again, how subjective it is to the viewer. And there's really no right or wrong answer because mm -hmm. it, it is subjective. We all are going to experience it our own little ways. But what I find fascinating is where we can pull, you know, and find the similarities. And then, yeah, then we're going to find what, you know, what differentiates our experiences. But, yeah, this one's fun to lead off with. The little Not flipping worm was hilarious. Dude, all that stuff, man, the more I thought about it, I was like, man, this is really a dude's dream man it's like it's very sexual mm -hmm. there's a lot of sperm in it yeah there's, yeah <laughs> a lot of like just a lot of wet dreams and fantasies and lusting but also like facing reality of those situations like even though i want those things this could become the reality of that situation too like there's more to it than just these carnal desires well even though i guess we're going to back up into this for just a second even though um she ends up just leaving by herself anyway, just at some undisclosed time. With that scene where he throws and, like, it, it turns into the fucking flipping worm scene and all mm. that shit. But when he's finding all of the, like, diseased fetuses in the bed, basically. Yeah. That look very spermy. And it's, it's in that scene where I think it's kind of like, in his mind, he's going, well... It, it's another one of the ones where he's going, she's diseased, my bed with her is diseased, but I'm going to find a new cupboard to stick my worm in. Mm -hmm. And that's the scene where he decides he's going to cheat, although he's mostly just married to her because her parents forced it anyway because she got married, because she got pregnant. Right. It, it's just kind of like, oops, you guys fucked up. You had sex out of wedlock. Let's go ahead and make this a, a done deal if you want to put in those terms. So, yeah, it, it's interesting, man. And I, I read a lot of those, like, the little in-betweens that most, I want to say, let me put it this way, where some people not might not be able to pick up on those things because they don't have that kind of perspective. Like, mm -hmm. this is a different way of thinking if, if you're not of the persuasion, so to speak. But it's also relatable because when it comes to those kind of things, those desires and all that other stuff, just dealing with these fucked up situations, man, it's like, Sometimes you want to do what you want to do, man. Just, just kind of sate your whatever you're craving. Yeah, yeah. Um, <laughs> fuck, this one was good. No, I, I enjoy it, and I, I feel like the more we talk, the more we'll we'll chew on it. But for the time being, man, I think this it's been fun. It really has been, and a really cool introduction to David Lynch, being also that it's his first full length feature. Mm -hmm. I'm. I want to see Blue Velvet. Blue Velvet's fun. I really like that one. Mulholland Drive actually was the very first one I watched all the way through. I knew what the, who it was. And that one's still weird. Blue Velvet is really fun. Wild at Heart is really good. I can't recommend Twin Peaks enough. 
I still need to watch the Inland Empire all the way through. That one's a wild one. Mm. I recommend his shorts for those who haven't seen it or any of them because they're <laughs> they're fucking wild, man. They're really good. Personally speaking, I know there's people out there that like it. I won't recommend his album. It wasn't for me. No, but... that's okay. That's okay. <laughs> I did listen to it though. I've li- I've <laughs> I've legitimately I don't care for it. I have legitimately listened to that album multiple times. <laughs> what I think is one, one last thing that I want to kind of hit before I you know <laughs> mostly as a joke. <laughs> Listening to what he did in this film makes me understand why he and Trent Reznor. Are friends. Yes, that makes sense. And yeah, why you see Trent Reznor work with him and why he's on that latest season of Twin Peaks, like it totally makes sense now. <laughs> oh, and one last thing. With that, it also makes me wonder how much Ari Aster was inspired by this film when mm. he did Hereditary because of the soundscape. Just using that kind of like low tonal, just like like that those dissonance where it gives you that sense of tension and dread and shit like that cuz it's used a lot in this film and you can't help but notice it this movie also makes the shining make more sense that too man it's like kubrick uh, made those actors watch this movie to get yes. in the right headspace it's really interesting there's uh, what they use um there's a term it's like digenesis or dynetics or something like that where basically you're using a narrator from the outside as opposed to like somebody telling you mm. it's an outside narrator explaining what's happening and there's the use of sound or music can do that and then you know whether it's in dreamscapes or I, I think it's really cool man that he he did that in this film and it really took on a whole different form mm-hmm. you know because I think without it it's not going to necessarily hit quite as hard I mean you're still going to feel all the stuff but having that music or the, the sound just it heightens it. I think that's all I got on the racer head now, finally. Yeah, likewise, man. It's it's fun. I'm glad we did it. Next week. Oof. One I haven't seen. Haven't seen it. Killing of a sacred deer. I haven't seen any uh Lanthimos. Yorgo Lanthimos. Yeah. I started in on Dogtooth. That's not a spoiler. I was like, you know what? Let me wait. <laughs> Cause it's like I don't know if I was ready in the headspace for that one. Uh his movies look interesting as fuck. I am aware of them, yeah, and it makes me super curious of what the fuck we're getting into in this movie. I think this one's going to be a lot of fun. Just knowing that other people know about him is going to make it even more fun because I, I feel like some people are waiting for our opinions on some of this <laughs> stuff, and I'm like, I'm cool with that, but it's like we're not like experts per se, but I, I feel like we've got a pretty decent you know, yeah. pulse on this. Super curious about it. Killing of Sacred Deer, and just as a reminder, yeah. we do have this entire block lined out, so wow. after that, we're going to be hitting some Gozu. Man, it's some heavy chewing, man. Oof. It's going to be fun. That, I'm, I'm intimidated to get into that one, because I know how... I've only seen it once. I don't want to, like, you know, really build it up too much, but it was almost like I needed an interpreter for that one. We'll see what Mika gives us this time. But that's in a couple weeks. Like I said, Killing of Sacred Deer next week. For this week, I'm Tyler. I'm Danny. Fried Squirms, out. Hi, everybody. Tyler here. If you like the podcast, please hit subscribe however you're listening to us right now. Also, if you could rate and review us however you're listening to us, or preferably over on Apple Podcasts, that'd be super cool as the entire world is ran on algorithms and we want to be all up in them. Uh, We highly appreciate it whenever you tell all your friends about us. If you have any suggestions, comments, 
questions, want us to put eyes on your current independent horror project, you can always contact us, squirmcast at gmail.com, or you can contact us through our website, www.friedsquirms.com. Uh, scroll through our entire back catalog there, or click the links up at the top as we are part of the Earverm Podcast Network. Uh, and would love it if you went and checked out some of our sister shows. Uh, the easiest way to keep track of things across the entire network is to go over to that website. That's earverm.com, E-A-R-V-V-Y-R-M.com. Uh, you can search for us across all the social medias. If you type in Fried Squirms, we should be what pops up. I'm not going to give you all those ats. So with all of that in mind, we'd love to hear from you. Until next time, peace.